W.W. Jacobs' The Monkey's Paw, retold by Bart Meehan. Performed by Nicky Hunter, directed by Tony Turner, produced by Bart Meehan for Artsound FM Canberra. Mr. White died last night. His landlady, Mrs. Jessop, took him a cup of tea this morning and found him lying on the floor, smelling of whiskey and vomit with his trousers round his ankles. I expect he wouldn't let go of the bottle while he was trying to take him off. I know how things were with the two of you, but I thought you ought to know before the rest of the busybodies in the town. I could see that she was expecting some reaction. Maybe a tear or two. After all, Mr White and I had been together a long time. But she went home disappointed. She didn't understand. None of them do. I do not intend to behave in the manner they expect. They will want to bury him next to my son, Herbert. But I will not do it. They will want me to wear black and stand by the grave but I will not do it. They will think that in spite of our living arrangements we remained married and it is a wife's duty to see her husband properly buried before she goes on with her life. But I will not mourn him. I am glad he is dead. And I hope that beyond this life he finds only emptiness. The sort of emptiness that has filled me every moment of every day that has passed since he killed my son. Look at that there on the mantel. An evil little ornament stripped of all its power now, save its ability to haunt. I have tried to throw it away, but somehow it manages to find its way back. It will dig itself out of any pit in the garden. Cast into the river, I will find it sodden on the doorstep. Frustrated, I even threw it in the fire once, but when I came down in the morning, there it was, on the floor, as if it had crawled out of the flames. Mr White thought he was so clever when he brought it home from the pub. He stood there, preening like Jack, offering the handful of beans he'd exchanged for the family cow. I bought it off Macintosh's brother. Macintosh's brother was a sergeant in the army who had spent years serving in India. He had come home to bury his mother and had been holding court in the pub every night since. His stories of life in the East filled a dreary country bar with the exotic and the mystical. What is it? I asked, and Mr White smiled. A monkey's paw. Five bobs all it's cost. I nearly fainted. Five bob? Mr White seemed surprised that I did not appreciate the astuteness of his purchase. He got it off one of them Indian fakirs in the market. 
It has powers. Power to relieve you of a day's wages, I told him. My frustration at his foolishness, obvious. But before I could say any more, Herbert chimed in. It's a nasty-looking thing. I don't like to think what the rest of the monkey looked like. The two of them laughed at that, further infuriating me. And then Herbert asked what sort of powers it had. Macintosh's brother said it gives the owner three wishes. He looked at me. Now you see why it was a good investment. Well, that was it. The final confirmation I had married a fool. If it did that, I said as coldly as I could, why in heaven's name would he sell it to you? Why wouldn't he keep it and wish himself rich? Mr White straightened so I could better see his indignation. He's done that. It's what got him promoted and a good pension besides. But he's had his wishes and it's useless to him now. It only grants a three. Three wishes to three owners. That's what the fakir said. The fakir was the first, then Macintosh's brother, and now us. I could see Herbert was excited by the story. That had always been his nature ever since he was a boy. Before he could read, he asked me for stories, and then later he asked me for books which I found in the toss shop at the end of Market Street. I didn't mind. I hoped being well-read would lead to a better life. But I was wrong. What was the third wish, Father? Mr White's eyes dropped, and he stared at the ugly ornament in the middle of my table. To come home. He was tired of fighting heathens and living in the stinking heat. When his mother died, the army let him go. I refused to bottle my anger any longer or to couch my words in the gentle tone expected of a woman. You're a fool, Mr White. A soldier is promoted and given a pension and then an old woman dies in the middle of winter and he convinces you it's all the work of some mummified fist. Well, he stood there, his mouth moving as he tried to form some reply. But it was our son who finally spoke. What harm can it do to make a wish, mother? What harm, I thought. Five bob is two roast dinners we won't be having. But I said nothing. The money was gone and Herbert was smiling. <laughs> that sweet smile that always captured my heart. Oh, my darling boy. How I miss that smile. Mr White looked at me. What shall I wish for? Again, it was Herbert who answered. Four hundred pounds. That would buy this house for you and mother. The house where we had lived all our married life, where Herbert was born and where I now spend my days shuffling through empty rooms, was the property of the company, like many others in the town, and it was available for purchase by the tenant. Of course, this was little more than a token gesture, as the price was beyond the means of most. Mr White quickly agreed and picked up the cursed thing. 
Oblivious to my anger and bolstered by Herbert's enthusiasm, he closed his eyes and he said loudly, as if that was an essential component of the ceremony, Four hundred pounds! And then he yelped like a beaten dog and he dropped the monkey's paw. It moved, he said. My God, I swear it moved! There have been visitors all day, wanting to offer their condolences. They knock on the door once, twice, aye, and then a third time, their annoyance apparent in the increasing depth of the percussion. I sit in this dark room, curtains closed, until they give up and wander away, whispering among themselves. She's gone a little strange. I have no argument with their assessment. A wife who loses a husband is a widow. A child who loses his parents is an orphan. But what is a mother who loses her son? Her only son. Strange is as good a word as any. Herbert was born late in our lives. We had all but given up by the time he arrived, and the fact that Providence had delivered a boy improved Mr White's disposition no end. Men like to see themselves replicated in their sons, their looks, their opinions, their physical prowess, their name. It is their pursuit of immortality. Mr White started making Herbert in his own image from his first step. And the boy was an enthusiastic student. He followed his father everywhere, absorbing all the lessons. He mimicked his father's walk and the way he would lean back and laugh with his mouth wide open. He pestered me to buy him long pants and boots just so he could mirror the look of his idol. As he grew older, he insisted on leaving school despite being a good student, accomplished in his letters and sums, just so he could join Mr White on the factory floor. His desire to impress quickly made him a valued worker. He moved from mundane jobs like sweeping up the scraps that had fallen from the production line to more complex and better paid work. After two years, he had been promoted to technical hand and was working on the boilers. The Boilers. <laughs> like most women, I knew the word from conversations men had over their supper when discussing the day's activities, but I had no idea what they looked like. I still do not. In my mind, I have created a great metal pot that towers over the factory floor like a giant, rumbling and hissing angrily as the pressure builds and builds until finally the rivets pop and scalding steam spews out, consuming anyone in its way. I have no real memories of those days. When I try to remember Mr White standing in the doorway, all I see is his face streaked with oil and dirt. I have no recollection of how he delivered the news or how I reacted. I imagine I behaved as society demanded when a mother loses a son. But there is a darkness there, as if everything has been rubbed out. But I do remember the day 
the company man delivered the letter. I told you that my Herbert was a valued worker, and the letter told us that value. Four hundred pounds. That was how much the company thought my son, my sweet, sweet boy, was worth. I had thought Mr White a fool. A man easily convinced to part with five bob for an ugly trinket with a fanciful story. But I was wrong. He had wished for four hundred pounds, and that mummified paw had delivered it by taking my son. By taking your son. That thought played on my mind night after night as I lay in bed, Mr White beside me, filling the room with whisky-tainted snores. I knew it was ridiculous. I may not be an educated woman. What chance did I ever have for education? But I am not stupid. And my mother raised me to be practical, not fanciful. The idea was nonsense. It was nothing more than coincidence. Still, for all that, I found when I closed my eyes and tried to sleep, all I heard were those words in the darkness. By taking your son. It was a voice familiar, though muffled, as if rising up through damp clay. It took me, mother. But if it took me... And there it was. His message from the other side. If the monkey's paw took my son, my Herbert, it could give him back. The hideous thing was on the mantle over the cold fireplace, barely visible in the shadows. I reached for it, but as I did, my hand began to tremble and doubts filled my mind. What was I doing? I'd never been an overly religious woman, but I'd read my catechism well enough to know this was an offence against the Almighty. But then I thought, what sort of God takes a boy and leaves loneliness and pain in his place. No! I shouted and I grabbed the paw. It was cold, deathly cold in my hand. I want my son to live. Bring him back. For a moment there was nothing. Then I felt it move. I felt it stretch out and the claws dig into my palm. I screamed and let it fall to the floor and then backed away. Behind me I heard Mr White ask, What have you done? I turned and saw him standing on the stairs, his face drained of colour. I started to speak, to explain the pain a mother feels when a child is lost, but before I could form the words... I heard a sound.
the creaking of the front gate being opened, followed by footsteps on the path. Not sharp, youthful steps, but a shuffling sound, like a dead weight being dragged over stones. There was a single knock on the door, and then, after a long pause, another that echoed through the house. As I ran to unlock it, Mr White screamed, No! And he raced across the room, bending to pick up the paw. There was another knock, and I felt the door shiver. I thought I heard a whimpering voice begging to be let in, and I struggled to open the locks. Behind me, Mr White held the cursed charm to his chest, and I heard him say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm... And then he said, I wish my son dead. And the knocking stopped. I screamed and flung the door open, but there was nothing. Nothing but the smear of mud on the step and a sickly smell of decay. You didn't see him, Mr White was saying. The steam had boiled the skin off him. He wasn't our boy anymore. I turned and looked at him. The monkey's paw fell from his hand and lay shriveled and impotent on the floor by his feet. He took a step forward and reached out. I could see tears in his eyes. He had never been a man to cry, but he knew what he had done. He wanted me to understand. He wanted my forgiveness. You killed my son, I said, and climbed the stairs to the bedroom. I locked the door and I lay alone in the dark. Mr White drowned his guilt in whisky and rum. He was soon a drunken wreck of a man who came home late at night and fell asleep in the chair by the fire. After a few months he moved out and took the room at Mrs Jessop's. Perhaps there was a time when I might have objected, when I might have been concerned by the gossip, but I was long past caring about anything. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to lay on my bed listening for Herbert's voice on the wind or his steps on the path. I knew it was not some silly trinket sold to the gullible in some far-off market that had brought him back. No, it was a mother's love that had opened the door between worlds. And so I wait, night after night, love undiminished. I wait for another knock on the door.